What is happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. Phillies coming off of a four-game sweep against a stripped-down Washington Nationals team that Anthony has to be one of the worst Major League Baseball teams that I can remember in recent memory. But kudos to the Phillies for taking care of business. Doing what they needed to do against an inferior opponent. This team is red hot right now. Five straight wins. Winners of 10. Their last 11 games. They're rolling. And the vibe should be 100% all good this morning. And we will talk about why they are. But they're not 100% all good. uh, Because of a weird day at Citizens Bank Park. And so let's roll through this Pete Rose story. Let's, Let's roll through the Alex Coffey... Dan Gelston situation, which you covered yesterday, kind of uh, immediately after it happened, and then we'll talk about the baseball team. So if you want to talk about the Phillies, you want to hear about Phillies talk and on-field play, you can probably fast-forward about 10 minutes here, but this is the story of the day as we record, so let's dive into the Pete Rose situation first. Yeah, and and here's the thing, Bob. You know, I, I was one of those guys who was kind of like on the fence, should he come back, should he not come back? Um... I understand why there would be a uh, you know a pushback against him coming back. Um, it makes perfect sense, but I felt like if the Phillies managed it properly and they handled it the right way, which I believed that they would, when it was announced that he was going to be part of this, that they he would just had him they would have trotted him out. He would have done his smiles and waves, you know maybe do that you know change the base thing that he did, change first base, get that second applause. You know, and then that's it, and then you let him go. But the fact that they, the fact that they allowed him to actually talk to the media, they had to know that the that the odds of his foot being inserted into his mouth more than once was was high, and so I can't believe that they they did that to begin with, and then. After the fact, after all of that happened, still put him on TV. Because everything was already out. Alex Coffey had put her, her tweet out about him calling her babe. Um, and then, you know, we had all put our stories out about, um, you know, the question from Dan Gelston from the AP that he, that he shot down and, you know, did not want to talk about it. Um, and then his pseudo-apology to Alex Coffey, which was, you know, Reprehensibly presented first by him offering thousand, her a thousand signed baseballs. Um, I so like the, you know all those things. The Phillies should have just said that's it, let it go, and then they put him on TV and he makes a bigger ass of himself there. At some point, the Phillies need all to be right, So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm there with you on this. I mean, listen, I I thought about this and I'm like, wow, they're inviting him. I'm surprised that they're inviting him to this. But I will say, I was there yesterday. I tweeted this out. There were some boos. There were some pretty aggressive boos. But honestly, as you heard those boos, they began to be drowned out by overwhelming cheers and a lengthy standing ovation yeah. and even chants of Pete, Pete, Pete. And you saw that again when he went out and changed the base. And so while I I don't think there was a, enough upside in bringing Pete Rose there, I, I guess, I don't want to say I understand why they did it, but I, I get it because there was a fan base there that was excited to see him. And the ovation would indicate that, you know, hey, like there were a lot of people out there yesterday that that wanted to see him and they were happy he was there. 
probably because they, they feel that he's been wronged by Major League Baseball over the past few decades, that he should be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, people that are 50 and older will tell you that he's he's the straw that stirred the drink, as I wrote this morning in my story, of that 1980 championship team. And there is some, you know, level of thankfulness for him and his contributions. Okay, so if you want to move me to the point where you say, listen, you can validate his existence at that ceremony, all right, like, I can go for that. But to make him available and have him so ill-equipped to answer a question that you have to know is coming. Like, the Phillies, if Pete Rose is oblivious to the situation, which, to be perfectly honest with you, I think he might have been. Like, I actually think Pete Rose is so far gone that he was probably caught off guard by the question that Alex Coffey asked yesterday and the follow-up by Dan Galston. But the Phillies have to know that that question's coming. Someone's going to ask that question, and they should. And my response to people out there, like I had someone jump into my DMs yesterday when I talked about the, the split between the boos and cheers, and they're like, you liberal social justice warrior journalists. And i got to tell you, like, very few people in my in my social realm would, would accuse me of being an ultra-liberal guy. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm probably somewhere in the middle there, you know. I, I would say I'm definitely somewhere in the middle. Um, so I, I'm like, you've got the wrong guy. I'm just telling you the way I hear it. There were boos, man. Like, I'm sorry, like, I, I know that doesn't jive with the, the picture that you want painted, which is that 50,000 people were giving Pete Rose a standing ovation. But I'm telling you, like, yeah, the ovation was legit. The, the cheers drowned out those boos, but there were boos. So if you don't think that that question should be asked, like, I just, I'm sorry, I totally disagree with that. Now, Pete Rose probably could have handled the question a lot better. He could have not used the word babe, which to me is, is it, it, I think there's a generational gap there and his, his detachment from reality. But the fact that he was so ill-equipped to answer the question uh, to me, was it was not surprising, yet it was, that, that he was not prepared or not prepped to deal with that. It made him look like a moron, and it made the Phillies look bad, as you wrote. Yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing redeemable about Pete Rose, the human being. There's just not. Um, he, he's always been a bad guy, regardless of... You know the whole BS with with the with the gambling thing. I mean, obviously that's 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 neither here nor there anymore. I think Bob. The I gambling mean, thing, I, you know, I'm so I diluted. Think, it like I mean, there's a DraftKings yeah, sportsbook ad out in right field. I know he bet on games that he managed, and it's yeah. different. But that whole thing, I think that the public would have moved on beyond that, which is what you're I agree, and that's my point. And like you know, if, let's just let's just for for shits and giggles, let's just say that Pete Rose gambled on his team today. He, would he be suspended? Yes. Probably about a year, right? He wouldn't have gotten a lifetime ban from baseball for doing it. Okay, so, the, so, that, so therein lies that. So, so that in and of itself is irrelevant. The, the problem is, is that he went so, he went so far back in those days of trying to make himself clear his name and lied about it and then became just this pariah over time you know and then eventually it was like he's all about himself and not about the game not about what he did wrong he was not 
Um, he, he never took really took responsibility. Yeah, he said he's sorry, but I mean, it was kind of like a, you know, whatever, fake sorry. But then five years ago, when a story comes out that he's had a relationship, a sexual relationship with a girl who she claims at the time she was 14, and he claims that she was 16, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Ohio law is allows consent to be at age 16. It doesn't matter. You're still talking about a high school kid and a grown man who is married with children at the time having an ongoing relationship. It makes him a crumb. It well, makes him a crumb. And so therefore, whether he wants to talk about it or not, however he if you're the Phillies... You have to look at it in that vacuum. You already canceled his whole Wall of Fame induction because of it. Okay? So if you're going to bring him back five years later, you certainly have to make sure that you are taking a very direct and well-mapped-out path with him in the process in order to make it work. Because as soon as you allow for more, you are only opening yourself up to the greatest criticism. If they don't let Pete Rose talk yesterday, you'll get some people criticize the Phillies yeah. for letting him show up, but it would be a, a very quiet yeah. criticism. This is not a major story if he doesn't yeah. talk yesterday. Um, and I mean, right? you see it though even today. There's a lot of there's a lot of support, a lot of pushback on what happened yesterday. That this was a team that won the World Series in 1980. The day was about that. It should have never been approached. And I just I don't know how that question goes unasked. And you know, you commend you commend the writers, in my opinion, for asking it now. The fact that yeah, it has to be. I don't want to. I, I, I know. I, I know. I'm rambling here. I don't want to keep talking over you, and I'm, I apologize. But I will say this: as you know, again, we, you know, we, I'm always asked with crossing broad many times by you, sometimes you know by the other, on the other shows. As a guy who's been around longest in, in in this field, right? As the as the veteran journalist, so to speak, those questions have to be asked. They have to, because there is a segment of the pop, and if and people don't want to hear this, the people who are supporting Pete Rose don't want to hear this. But there is a segment of the population that is not your segment of the population, people who don't want to hear this. But there is a segment of the population who does not believe that Pete Rose, because of this, should ever be associated with anything in baseball, let alone the Phillies, the Reds, whoever. But he should not be associated at all. And so because that segment of population exists, as neutral yeah. reporters, you ask we need question, to ask. Right. You ask the question. It's not... Right. He, I mean, listen, I don't think there's any good way to answer the question if you're him, but listen, that happened a very long time ago. There's things about it that are unclear... I'm here for the Phillies today. I don't want to talk about it. And, like, he doesn't have to go beyond that. And, like, and, and right. so he can kind of give that, that answer that's a non-answer. And then maybe, you know, there's going to be columns. There's going to be opinion pieces. Things are going to be written about it. They're going to be unflattering. But then he doesn't have to then compound the situation by answering the questions right. in the manner that he did. And then that gives everybody the chance that that is rightfully, in my opinion, piling on the ability to do so because the answer is just so stupid. His apology was insincere. I mean, it was so predictable that he gave a, a poorly worded and a poorly worded answer that that showed really no understanding of the gravity of the situation. 
And, and that made it worse for him, I think. And, and there are people out there that didn't want the question asked, thought it was unfair, that the journalist wants to make the story about uh, her and him in, in the case of Galston. Uh, that, to me, is all nonsense. The, the, the question gets asked. It's up to the subject to answer the question in, in the best way they possibly can. And I don't think Pete did that, and that's totally, unsu- oh, totally unsurprising to me. And, and I, the one, thing I, one other thing I want to say about this is that I'm really glad that Dan Gelston yeah. also asked this question. Yes. Because if it was just Alex Coffey that asked it, the people who are out there screaming, oh, well, the Inquirer sent her because she's female, and of course they knew that they would get some kind of reaction from Pete, and it was almost like they were goading him into it. You know, there was a, I heard some, from some people saying, well, why didn't Scott Wahlberg do the interview with right. Pete Rose instead of Alex Coffey? Like, he could have asked the question, and, and he wouldn't have called, her, called Scott Wahlberg, babe. Right? I mean, so, and I, and I, I get that. It's 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 bullheaded, but I understand why they're saying it. So, but if Gelp with Gelston also asking the question, it makes it that now you have two different genders who've asked the same question and both got a yeah. I mean, he dismissed it in a similar fashion, though it wasn't a, a gender related word. It was you're not even you know you weren't even born when this happened, so you don't get to ask the question. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's right. totally dismiss, dismissive in, in a different way, but kind of in an equal way. And both. Both dismissals are ridiculous. Um, So, yeah, I mean, listen, and then the only other thing I want to just touch on is that I am surprised, as we all were yesterday, uh, that we look up and the, I believe it was the sixth inning, and then we see Pete Rose in the booth, and we go, Jesus. And if, you know, this this baggage and this this backstory about Pete Rose um, didn't kind of carry into this conversation, it probably would have just been a funny inning of baseball, like, you know, you can debate whether or not the the crook comment about knowing him when he had two balls was was uh, you know funny or not. I don't know the relationship that John and Pete have. Whatever, like you kind of just chuckle, like locker room talk, you know, breaking stone, so to speak. Um, but the you know the horse shit thing on the on the pop up down the first baseline and the flashback to the World Series, and then talking about a I think he what did he say a cock high fastball that that he turned yeah, around on. Yeah. Like, all that stuff, like you're talking about an 80-year-old guy, old school, like that stuff doesn't really offend me. But the fact that the Phillies gave him the opportunity to go in there and allow that inning to go the way it did, like if you're NBC Sports Philadelphia, you probably got what you wanted out of it because you got some stories, you got a lot of shared social media, you got you know the internet sprawl that you get when, when you have that viral type of conversation happen during a game. I guess it could have gone worse. I but, just am surprised, I guess, that he was given the floor in the first place. Right, but, and, and, and I'll tell you what. NBC Sports Philadelphia deserves some blame, too. Okay? I, if they did not have him available to the media, and he didn't say the things that he said to, to Alex or to Dan um, at any point, and all they did was put him in the booth and he said some of those things... We would probably be laughing about it more today, right? We'd just be like, oh, there's old man Pete saying some stupid shit, and it's funny, right? Okay? And NBC would have still gotten what they wanted out of it, which is, like you said, was all the, you know, all the viral stuff. But doesn't NBC also hold a responsibility to keep up with what's going on and know that this is now... This is now there have a, been hours a that had fire. gone by where you know this was a yes. thing that that was out there. It's on ESPN.com. Like this is a national story. It's, it's national. It was a national story before he went on. Yeah, they could have yeah. stopped it. They could have said, you know what, enough's enough. 
we don't want to be associated with this. Who knows what he's going to say on our airways? Um, it, it's not worth. It's you know the, the juice is not worth the squeeze, right? I mean at that point, okay. Um, so they, in my mind, they get some blame too. I think there's blame everywhere. Obviously, Pete Rose gets the most blame because of the the, the, the schmuck that he is. Okay, but the Phillies get a high level of blame. NBC Sports Philly gets a high level of blame for giving this guy the platform. Yeah, and I guess I just to, don't understand when mouth. it's all said and done. Some of this was predictable. Some of it was avoidable. And I just don't know what the payoff was. Was it the payoff that, that you know, somebody that was there that night when they won the World Series in 1980 got to clap for Pete Rose? Like, was it so worth it for the Phillies to give those people that moment and to give Pete Rose that moment that then they kind of have to deal with some of this... You know, the backlash, the story, some of the negative publicity. And guess what, man? I know it was hot yesterday. And, and the Phillies have had, like, some better attendance lately, but that was not a particularly well-attended ceremony. So if the payoff no. was like, we're going to get 44000 out here for this game, like, I could even go for that to an extent. But they didn't get what they wanted, I don't think, in terms of attendance. You're talking about a surging baseball team that's playing very well, who I think is really starting to drum up some genuine interest in this market. It hasn't necessarily translated yet to huge attendance numbers. I know the Thursday night crowd was pretty strong. They didn't get that attendance payoff, I don't think. And so I just asked myself, like you said, the juice was the juice worth the squeeze? And in this case, I just say, no, it wasn't. So, no. It turned out that it was. You know, wasn't. that's a team that is, that that is that worthy wasn't. of honor. They've gotten a lot I, of it over the years. They deserve the day they had. I know it was originally supposed to be the 40th anniversary that they were going to honor that team. Right. COVID delayed it. And, and I, yeah, I will say this, Bob. They really didn't give a lot of heads up to the fans that this was happening. Right? I mean, if, it was, if Boa doesn't say what he said. Yeah. What was it, a week and yeah, a half two ago? Two Sundays ago, I think he was on the broadcast. Done, and it's, yeah, no, oh, sorry, people... People wouldn't have known. Now, if the Phillies had announced back in April or May, oh, by the way, yeah. Pete Rose at Alumni Weekend, they probably sell more than twenty eight thousand. I don't know. Let's be. Let's. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm being honest about. It. I do believe people, if they had enough enough warning, would have bought more. I think you would have seen. Not that it would have sold out, but it would have matched Thursday's crowd. You would have had thirty five. I think you would have had about thirty five thousand people. Um, and, and, and again, the final filing is, is I understand why this was the last opportunity to do this. You're not going to bring Pete Rose back for anything else. The, the 1980 team, they're getting old, right? Yeah, that was saw those there were certain guys that, that ran out there. Now, like guys like Boa, they look good. He, he jogs right. out. He's looking tight, looking fresh. Yeah. Some of those guys there, you're like, wow, you know, how, how much longer yeah. are they going to have? Oh, I mean, you don't want to be. You're talking yeah. another eight years before yeah. you can before you recognize them yeah. again, right? You, you, you hate to say it. You, you hope that all of those guys would be there for that, but it just, you know, math tells yeah. you that's, that may not be the case. So, yeah, listen, it was a really weird day. I mean, that's what I said. That it, was a, it was a weird day at the stadium. And maybe, like, us reporters, whatever, were a little bit more sensitive to that stuff. Maybe there were just dudes out there yesterday, people out there, fans out there drinking beers and saying, like, ah, you know, we clapped for the 80 team, Phil's won, they kicked ass, it was a good day. All this is all bullshit. And that's fine. You know, I get that there's plenty of fans out there that feel that way. But when you're in there and you cover it, you consider the way that multiple people feel, because that's what you try to do. You try to take it in from multiple perspectives, Mm -hmm. and you know, like, oh, this is a pretty weird day, man. Well, that, yeah. that'll put a bow on the on the 1980s Pete Rose media reporter fallout, you know. 
Uh, but listen, as it pertains to baseball, there's a lot to be excited about here. I know I made the joke last week that you have them winning the World Series. You're right the other night that the NL East might come into play. I think the Mets might have something to say about that. They made a pretty emphatic statement uh, to the Braves over the weekend. But this Phillies team's playing really well right now. Like you said at the top, five wins in a row, ten of their last 11. They are now a second wild card spot. Uh, they, they surpassed the Padres, who got swept over the weekend by the Dodgers. They're nipping at the heels now, all of a sudden, of the Atlanta Braves. And you start to look at all these playoff projections, and we've talked about them over time, about how they're somewhat meaningless. But, you know, I think on the most bullish end, you have baseball reference, like 92%. I want to say Fangraphs is a, a little bit more, I think, realistic, like 73%. 538-84%. And if you're a better DraftKings Sportsbook right now, will the Phillies make the playoffs? Minus 295, yes. That means that a better would have to lay 295 to win 100, taking the Phillies to make the postseason. All of this is to say that when you consider how weak their upcoming schedule is, how well this team has played, that they are in prime position to finally end this drought. And I, a little bit more reluctant than you, will tell you that I'm starting to buy this. Um, and, and I have said all along, I do think they're a playoff team, but now I'm starting to feel like it's not can make the playoffs, not even should make the playoffs, but will make the playoffs. Uh, my question for you, Bob, is when are you going to get on board the fact that this is not just just make the playoffs and it's going to be you know in and out, three-game series and see you later and we'll – talk next year right i think this is a team that's it's going to make a little bit of a push yeah, i would not be surprised if this team won a playoff series i don't see it in the nlcs right now i think they have work to do like you know and and i credit this team for what they've done especially following that that cup series it could have been a oh no we've seen this show before this is what this team always does they don't take advantage of opportunities and all they do is they come back show a ton of resolve two out of three against the braves four-game sweep of the Pirates on the road. It's hard to sweep a team in a four-game series. I don't care who it is, where it's played, it's hard to do it. And they did that. Then they go down, they have their clunker against the Braves. It looks like they might get swept out of that series. And again, just a really, really gutsy win. Castellanos delivers deep, uh, you know, the deep ball at the end. Bullpen locks it down. Wheeler's a stud. And then they take care of, of business against this, this trash Nationals team. And I said it to you yesterday. I'm, I'm telling you, they play this team seven more times. They should beat them all seven times. And I will allow for the fact that it's hard to do that. So maybe six and one. This team stinks. They should whip this team seven more times if they play them seven more times. I, and I and I agree. I mean, I, there is you always do have to leave that that room open for one possibility. I mean, the worst even the worst teams in the league win, you know, forty percent of the time, right? So. Um, Every once in a while, you know, you do have that clunker against a bad team. But uh, I do agree. I think they think I think they can go. It's it's a realistic bet. I, you know, I wonder I wonder if DraftKings would take that bet. Bet Bob is like a parlay. Can you bet right now all seven Phillies Nationals <laughs> games the rest of the way and pick the Phillies and win all seven? Market, that but they could offer odds on something like that. Uh, That'd be fun. That'd I will be interesting. say, I mean, like Corey Simon tweeted it out. I know that you've been ahead of this. You look at the schedule, and we talk about the strength of schedule for the remainder of the season, but where it really gets favorable is this upcoming stretch. Although I will put an asterisk on that this week. You know, the Marlins are coming here, and we their struggles against the Marlins have been well-documented over time. Now, this year they've had a little bit more success against them, especially the last couple times they've played. However, you do get Sandy Alcantara in this series, and they've beaten him a couple times. 
you start to wonder, like, how many times are you really going to beat this guy as good as he's been? So they're going to have a challenge there. And then I believe Cabrera also throws for the Marlins this week, if I'm not mistaken. And, and, and Braxton Garrett. And, and like, all guy. of these guys, younger, but they've all been pretty yeah. damn good. So, like, this to me is not a series where you just show up and roll. This is going to have to be like a tread water type series. And then you have the Mets. And you and I, and I'll allow you to give this take. I don't want to steal it from you. But you have the Mets this weekend, and you should have a little bit of a, a team with some edge. But again, you will see DeGrom in that game, and you will see Max or in that series, and you will see Max Scherzer in that series. So this is a challenging week in terms of, of the pitching this team's going to see. Yeah, well, I'll address the Marlins first, and then I'll get to the Mets. The Marlins, you're right. They're, they're not... The Marlins are not a pushover team. They're not a Washington. They're not a team that you just go in and obliterate, okay? Um, but you still have to look at yourself and, and look at them and say, we're the better team. We have to win the series. So if you take two out of three, right, you're not going to sweep back. You're not going to win every game the rest of the year. So you're gonna, there's going to be some losses. So you've got to look at, at, at the series and say, we just need to win two out of three. Stay on that 67% uh, you know, win, win, win percentage that they've been on with Rob Thompson as their, as their manager. So you take those two out of three, and you're happy. Then you go into the Mets series, and, and you say that, yeah, yeah. You know what? They got to face Scherzer, and they got to face Degrom. But guess what? The Mets have to face Zach Wheeler. The Mets have to face Aaron Nola. The Mets have to face a far different bullpen this time around than they faced in the 12 games they played against the Phillies in April and May. It's not the same Phillies team. Maybe the same Mets team. Right? And yes, the Mets did make a statement with the way that they played against I mean, the Braves. Really we did. We've I was talked surprised. about the Mets, and I've said, this team looks different, but then, you, you know, you've always kind of been like, they're going to get run down by the Braves. And I've said, maybe, like, I was starting to come around on that, but this was the opportunity this weekend for think, Atlanta to do that. Well, I still think that the possibility you know, is. The race isn't over. About, We're talking about, what are they, five and a half back now, six back? Yeah. In, in early well, August. It, it's, it, it's far from over, but man, like. That, that was a statement this week. I'm sorry. That was they dropped the hammer on that no, team this weekend. It, it was a statement, but here's what here's why I say that it's it's to me. I still think that we have time for the Mets to be the Mets that we that we always know. Okay, when you look at what's coming up for the Mets, um, all right, they're, they're hosting Cincinnati here these next three games. That they're, they're going to be fine there. But starting with the Philly series this weekend, they have three at home against the Phillies. Then they go to Atlanta for four on the road. They come here for four against the Phillies. They go to New York to play the Yankees for two. Then after a four-game series with Colorado, they get three against the Dodgers. That's a, t- that's a tough road it is. to hoe. Okay? Certainly. It, it is. And, and so to me, this is the time where I think Atlanta can then get right back to where they were, get back, make that a, a two-team race again. But the thing that I wrote the other day, and I'm not, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not this crazy. I'm not crazy enough to say the Phillies are going to run down the Mets. They're nine and a half behind them, and they're going to catch them. Okay, But if you're nine and a half back and you play them seven times in the next week. Now, remember last year when, when they were behind the Mets, they were four games back. And in the span of seven days, they were two games up. So they made up, they made up six games in seven days. So it, it certainly is possible to make up ground quickly, especially when a lot of teams are playing each other. So... Can the Phillies, if they go, I'm just going to throw this number at you, Bob. They go 5-2 and two against the Mets. Let's just say that, okay? 5-2, and two, that's not an easy number to predict, but let's just say you go 5-2. and two. Now you're, you've made up three games. That gets you to within 6.5. If the Mets just go 500 against those other, in those other games against the Braves, 
the Yankees, and the Dodgers, and the Phillies keep playing all these crap teams, let's say they make up another three games there. They're three games over 500 in that stretch. All of a sudden, the Phillies are three and a half out of first on Labor Day. It's not ridiculous. Yeah. To, now, the, then the Mets' schedule gets a little bit easier after that. All right, so it's it's not that e- it's not going to be as easy to make up those last three and a half games. But at that point, you're in yeah, the conversation. And the note here again. is that over the Phillies' next 35 games, 80 percent of them are coming against teams with losing records. It's only the Mets that that are really the one obstacle in this next stretch here. And that's 80 percent of your games yeah. over a 35 game sample coming against losing teams, most of which are not just like losing teams like oh or a game under, but really bad, like 10 plus games out. So. And I think it was Corey Simon yeah. who, who mentioned that, and then I, I kind of just did the math percentage-wise off of it. So, I mean, there is an opportunity here for the Phillies to really go. I, I'm just going to say this, just from – and this is probably the same failed thinking that I used back on Memorial Day, which is there are eight games under 500. It's going to take 86, 87 wins to make the playoffs. There's just no way. And we found out that that's, that's not true because the Phillies are 38-19 since Rob Thompson took over, which is just absurd. But it's hard to sit back and look at, listen, we know this is a pretty good Mets team. We know the starting pitching it has. Nine and a half games, that's a hell of a way to fall in that amount of time. I just don't see it, and that's why, obviously, you're not going to bet on it. Just to put this in perspective right now, Mets are the overwhelming favorite to win the NL East in terms of betting odds. Braves are plus 650. Probably is an acknowledgement that they could exact some revenge in Atlanta uh, in an upcoming series and kind of shave that lead down. Phillies are plus 5,000 right now to win the NL East. So they are still a significant long shot. They've got a long way to go. But, like you said, five out of two in a seven-game stretch would probably get the wheels moving. And the Mets' history of, oh, God, you know, here we go again. And They had an okay deadline. They had some platoon bats. But it wasn't an overwhelming deadline. You just never know. But I think we should probably store that. That conversation on the back burner for at least another another week. Well, I, but you know me, I like I, I like to get yeah, it out so there early, so that when, so that when it so when it comes, yeah, we go back to it. Say, hey, you know, win ninety games, this. and they're the the first wild card team or the second wild card team. Even nobody's going to kill you for that for that takes. So. But right. yeah, I mean, here we right. are, and you have to feel good about this. And listen, I mean, I, I saw, I, I know that this always happens. Like, I've got to stop looking at, at, at Twitter comments and Facebook comments. But, you know, I write that the Phillies are surging, and, and invariably on Facebook you say it like, oh, that team sucked. You know, that's what they should have done. And I agree, the Nationals do suck, and that's exactly what the Phillies should have done. But you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, in years past, this team hasn't, hasn't taken advantage of scheduling opportunities when this year they have. I mean, uh, that Cub Series notwithstanding, they have taken advantage of inferior opponents, especially under Rob Thompson, and you have to credit them for that. I mean, we're talking about a team that Thursday night, they messed around a little bit. They probably got helped out by the rain. Okay, cool. But Friday... Saturday, Sunday, they left no doubt. They pummeled that team, and that's what a good team does. Just because you beat up on a shitty team doesn't make you any less legit. When you get to 90-95 wins at the end of the year, look across baseball. It's not because they played 500 against bad teams, and then they took advantage of the best of the best. It's because they do exactly what the Phillies did to an inferior opponent this weekend. So you have to give them credit for that. And if you can't enjoy this weekend as a Phillies fan and say, Dan, they're swinging it. This bullpen looks pretty good. This starting rotation is really delivering. Then, like, what are you even watching for? 
Well, here's what, here's what I say to these people, Bob. How many teams are there in Major League Baseball? 30. How many teams right now have more wins than the Phillies? Five? Five? I thought six. the Phillies came into the day with the sixth best record. Maybe that's... Yeah, okay. Well, they're sixth best okay. winning percentage. Okay. They're sixth best winning percentage. The Padres okay. have one more win than the Phillies, even though the Phillies are ahead of them. Um, but it's okay. But yes. All right, if you want to go by winning percentage, it makes yeah. my argument even better. If you compare... Every team plays yes. bad teams. Every team plays good teams. The Phillies, right now, have the sixth best winning percentage... In all of baseball, how do you look at that and say, "Yeah, they're not a contender. Yeah, they're not right. They're not. Yeah, they're still not that good." I mean, how? If they're not that good, what does it say about the twenty-eight yeah. teams behind or twenty-four teams behind them? Who is good? The Yankees. What did they do this weekend? Right? Like you can do this. Like, what do you think is being said Cardinals? right now in New York? Now, like we've looked from the outside and said, "This Yankees team. Oh my God, what a good team this is!" And they are a good team, and they're going to be there, and we all know that. But in New York today. Imagine what's getting said after that series this weekend in St. Louis. Oh my God! Yeah, right. Like, and well, that's, I mean, I've, that's why I've been. That's why I've been. I've been saying Houston's going to. Yeah, I mean, and maybe listen. Maybe this week oh, is yeah. the week it happens where they they struggle again. Like the Phillies are going to struggle again. They're not going to win nine out of every ten games. They're not going to win every single series. Like, there's going to be a hiccup coming. Doesn't mean that they're not a good team. Doesn't mean they won't make the playoffs. But like, they're going to have a lull here again. It will happen. I guarantee it. And when it does, yeah. you know, those people are going to say, see, I told you. And I would just say, like, you've, you know, don't overreact to that one series. Like, on Wednesday night, if they get beat by Sandy Alcantara, I don't want to hear, like, oh, you know, that shows that they're not going to be able to hack it in, in October. Or that this team's going to collapse. Like, if it happens for, for ten days, if it happens for two weeks, then sure. Let's revisit right. the, oh, shit, see, here we go. This is what the Phillies do. We can have that conversation but I wouldn't have it after after you know that one slip up, which is what I think we said when we watched that game last time we recorded right the trade deadline. We watched that game in Atlanta, and you and I were almost like unfazed by it. As gross as that game was, we kind of yeah. looked at it and were like, I don't know, man. Like it's going to happen. They just swept the Pirates in a four game series. Like shit happens, and that's kind of where I'll be at probably this week. You know, if they were to lose even two out of three, let's say. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to kind of look at with this team, Bob, you know, I was, I was um, slightly, although not really surprised, but slightly surprised. I mean, we're talking about 24th, 25th men in the lineup uh, or on the roster or whatever. I was slightly surprised that Nick Maton replaced um, Jairo Munoz. Not, not because they needed a left-handed bat on the bench, but because... We're close to Harper coming back. And when Harper comes back, Derek Hall probably becomes your left-handed bat off the bench. Right? So if that's the case, I was a little surprised but by adding Maton too. But now you look at it. Let's just say they're kind of they're, – they're trying to form what this roster is going to look like if they make the playoffs. Right? You now have three bats that are left-handed on the bench. If you go, if you're going with Maton, so you got Maton Hall and Stubbs, backup catcher. So that leaves you with only one right-handed bat off the bench. It's probably Matt Veerling, right? Is that how you would approach? Is that how you would go into this, or do you think that there needs to be that they need to figure something else out to maybe have another right. right-handed? Yeah, it's interesting. Nick Maton is a guy that I really like. I, I feel like he's. He's a guy I like that you, I don't yeah. think you can overexpose him. I, I wouldn't say he's an everyday player or anything like that, but 
used the right, right way, I think he's a very valuable piece and a, and a good good hitter from the left side. Um, and you saw that yesterday. And, you know, I, I, he's a guy I want to see play a little bit more. I want to see him get opportunities where it makes, makes some sense. But I do wonder if you start to talk about uh, composing the ideal bench long term, if he would be the one that, that might be the odd man out. Because, listen, with, with Derek Hall... I don't think that Derek Hall is, is a guy that, that can play every day. I, I do think that, you know, you see what he is against lefties. There's there's obvious weaknesses in his game. So, you know, I think sometimes right. people get carried away. They see the production. They see these long home runs, and they go, you got to find a way to, to play this dude every day. The, the question I had about Derek Hall when he first came onto the scene was like, all right, let's see what happens once opposing pitchers adapt. And he had that initial surge, and then you started to see him cool off a little bit. But here he is now, his last 15 games, he's hitting 320. He has a 382 on base percentage, and he's slugging 700. In his last seven games, he's slugging 905. That's not OPS, that's slugging 905. His OPS is over 1300 in his last seven games. So what he's done now is he has proven that he, if you can configure it, should be in the lineup against left-handed pitchers. There's just straight off, or right-handed, right-handed pitchers. Sorry, there's just no like. And, and I know that they're going to face a crunch when when Bryce Harper returns, and if Castellanos gets hotter, like I would have told you, if Castellanos continued down that same line, and you could get Harper out in right field. Sorry, Nick, but he seems to kind of be getting it together a little bit here, and I think you you want him in the lineup every day. You paid him to be in the lineup every day, so I don't think it's at his expense, but. What I think the Phillies are doing here, as you kind of suggested, is they've worked themselves into a situation that they've not had forever, which is like, damn, we got a really good hitter, and we're just not going to be able to play him all that much. And I think that's what you're seeing with Derek Hall right now. Yeah, and it makes me wonder where you know how this is going to be put together. Obviously, a lot can happen between now and the end of September, but I'm I'm, I'm just like I'm I'm not sure what exactly it's going to look like going into that going I into mean, the playoffs. I mean, we talked about. And do they do they care? Do they care because all their good right-handed bats are in the lineup anyway? Well, things do have a way care? of working themselves out as well. You know, like I, I think it's great to assume that they're going to have this surplus of need. That's assuming that everything goes according to a pl- you know going goes according to plan. Like there are no more injuries. They get back the Harper. Everything is cool. You know, like you, you hold your breath that they're going to have this problem. It's it's interesting though. 29 games he's played since he's come up here. And I mean, like, I know that we said this for one week. Remember when he had that first week and you're like, Jesus, he gave them Bryce Harper production for that week. He's given them basically Bryce Harper production now, though, for 30 games. You talk about all the reasons the Phillies are where they are right now. And you, I think in the first three or four, I mean, the bullpen's probably number one. Starting pitching at the top of the rotations is probably number two. Alec Boehm, I would, I would concede, is three, I guess. But, like, Derek Hall has to be right there, man. He has a 282 average over 29 games with a 933 OPS. He has eight home runs in 29 games. I mean, like, we're, mm-hmm. we're there, man. Like, he's, that's basically Bryce Harper production. It is, and it's, it's, it's surprising. Like, I don't think any of us thought he would be this – be this. We kind no, of thought, totally you know, here's an experiment. He even hit those try. home runs, and I was like, ha ha, yeah. like, you know, this is funny. Like, he'll, he, maybe he can give you exactly what we're talking about. Some left-handed pop off the bench. 
that's it. You know, it's a straight matchup yeah. in a game where you want to take a shot. Yeah. I did not see this coming. And I don't think, I mean, I don't know. Actually, I don't know at this point. I, but, I mean, this is a good problem for this team to have. Like I said, they have not had it for a very long time. And it's what I include in the story is that we've always talked about a top-heavy roster with the Phillies. You are seeing right now, and, and we had the same criticism while Joe Girardi was here this season, top-heavy. It's just not balanced enough. They spent too much. They spent too much. The money at the, at the bottom of the roster and on the edges, it's just no good. And now you're starting to look at this and go, like, damn, this is like a 25, 26-guy deep roster right now. And, and really, it's probably even a little deeper than that, Bob, because, you know, you look at guys, and I know that, I know that he tailed off after a hot start, but you even look like yeah. a guy like Camargo. A useful player. Like, like I mean, a guy that could play. Yeah. He's a useful player. Like if you need to bring Johan Camargo back up this year and play him a little bit or carry him as your on your roster as the 24th, 25th guy, 26th guy, you're, you're, not, you're not upset by that, right? Like if I would have told you that two weeks ago, that Camargo's on your playoff roster, Yeah, and I mean, listen, we haven't that, recorded right? since Didi Gregorius was released. I, I'm sure that there were probably multiple considerations. It, it does not make sense from the Philly standpoint. Left-handed hitter, no pop. Talking about a surplus of lefties as it is, I'm sure the veteran presence, he's a good guy, all of those things were considered. They probably talked to him and took his temperature on it as well. Like, I think Rob Thompson admitted mm-hmm. as much. You know, hey, like, you're not going to be the yeah. everyday guy. We're going to move forward with Bryson Stott. What do you think? And I'm sure he was not in love with that either. But, I mean, Didi Gregorius, the, the Phillies have, were able to basically absorb that salary and say we're just better than we've been we don't have to put up with this like we don't have to keep trotting substandard play out there and it's just that's i think a big thing for me and i know we talked about this at the deadline obviously the results on the field are always going to lead the way on how you feel about a team but the fact that this team is saying like we are going to trim trim the fat we're going to we're going to tighten up the edges of this roster. We're doing everything that we need to do. We're not going to worry about political considerations with guys like D.D. Gregorius. We're not going to worry about financial considerations. We're not going to worry about some of the mistakes that we've made over time, Juris Familia. We're, we're just going to be as good as we can be. And then to see that play translated out on the field where you're watching this depth produce on the field, it's, it's hard not to feel a little bit differently about this team. And you wrote about it. I tweeted it on Saturday. I'm telling you. Friday night, we have JT Real Muto at his locker, and his daughter's there. She, he has a young daughter, and, and she's like wants to go play ping pong, and she's like, Daddy, Daddy, like as the reporters are kind of there. And, and he, to his credit, he, he answered everyone's question, was very thoughtful even with his daughter tugging at his, you know, at his, his shorts. And I, like, I had a flashback. I have a 10-month-old, and I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm, I'm going to see this first thing tomorrow morning when I wake up, too. But, you know, he, you just listen to him talk. And I don't know if you have any other like anecdotal stuff like this, but he's like, we're different. You know, we we play better. We've gotten hot in the past, but we're doing it for more prolonged stretches. Our our cool off periods are shorter than they were in the past. And you just got the sense talking to this guy like they really believe that it's different. Like there is a belief, and we'll see. You know, the story's gonna it's gonna unfold as it will. Time will tell. But I, I do get the vibe that they really think like. We're, we're a lot different than we've been. If you want anecdotal, and I think we, I, you and I talked about this before, 
they've given up on forced celebration, and they now have like a real unified celebration. What I mean by this is there's no more Homer hats, no more of that. You know, or, you know. Okay, you, you did something good here. Let's let's mug for the cameras. But what you see a lot now, somebody makes a great play in the field, they're all yeah. tipping their hats to each other. They're all clapping for each other, pointing out whatever. It's a very demonstrative group for every little play that, that is within a game. And it's, a, it's really that all-pulling-the-same-rope kind of mentality. That, and, and as a coach, Bob, you know, even, even if you're not the most talented team, you could always, if you could get that little extra from the group that really, and, and it really gels really well, sometimes that's enough of a boost to make you better than a team that, that's yeah. maybe better than you on paper. And, and I think that the Phillies have that. I think it's a real it factor for them right now. And that's why I'm really excited about, I mean, I don't want to look past the Marlins, but I'm really excited about the Mets series. Because I really believe that in that room, there is a there is a there is a thought that the Mets feel like they're a little bit too big for their britches. They feel like they've dominated us this year, and they could just come in and beat us whenever. It's gonna be and interesting. Gonna show. You're gonna be seeing a lot of. I, I get that feeling. I get that sense. And so, like, that's the only thing I'll say. Like, I I agree with you. Like, I actually like in philosophically, I am with you on this point. But. Premium pitching, and you said it. They got to deal with Nola, uh, Nola and Wheeler, and, and, and uh, that's great. Premium pitching will often, sometimes, overshadow the vibe and the feel, and that we're going to get these SOBs and and all that stuff. So we will see, and it will be very interesting. Um, how about Bryson Stott? By the way, I want to call this out. Kind of looking at his his rolling numbers throughout the season. A couple hits yesterday, actually. He just missed a, a few that, that went to the fence and into the gap yesterday as well, but he actually did this on Saturday night and then, then got ahead of it yesterday. 204 he is up to, and I actually don't mean to make light of this. This is not like me trying to be a smartass. Like, Bryson Stott's batting average this season, rolling average, had not been over 200 since April 14th, and it's been a slow climb. And he actually nipped 600 OPS last week before dipping back down, but two hits yesterday. He's over. And I just think that, again, we talked about why they made the move with Gregorius. The other half of it is I really do think that they're, they're looking at Bryson Stott and saying, like, this guy can play. You look at some of the plays he's made defensively now. Um, I, I, I really I like him. And I actually had a friend, we were talking about Bryson Stott over the weekend, and he said, I've never seen you, especially, he's like, but other writers, other people that watch this team remain as bullish on a guy that has had these kinds of struggles. Like, Scott Kingery went through this, and we're like, I'm not sure this guy can play. Mickey Moniak has gone through this in a, in a smaller sample, and we've said, like, I don't think he can play. Bryson Stott, all along, I've just been like, this guy has it. It's it's going to happen. And I know he's got a long way to go, but, yep. I mean, I think you're really starting to see this now. I, I agree. And it, it's been more recent um, it's not been when you talk about you know it's been a slow progression over the course of the year. I, I think his kind of really kind of kicked in about a month ago, and, and that since then it's been like that's that's the player that the Phillies you know envision him being. Um, 
he still doesn't walk enough for my liking, but I think that's because he's still a young player and he's learning, and I think he'll get there. But I think if you look at just his last 22 games, mm-hmm. it's, he's hitting 272 with 775 OPS. This guy batting 789 yeah, in your lineup. And, and, you're happy with that? You know that? what's different about this? Happy with like, that I know that if you're listening, you kind of go, well, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of picking, you're picking numbers and a, picking a sample size that, that makes your point. What I would say is different about this, and even though it's the most recent stretch of games, it's you're talking about a young player. You're, you're not talking necessarily about a guy that's a seven-year veteran that may be turning it on. Like, you look at Nick Castellanos, so since the Salisbury incident, he's, you know, whatever. I think it's different when you're talking about a guy that's really trying to find his way for the first time in the major league. And so I put more emphasis on that sample size that you've given than I might for a more established player. I really think you're seeing the light go on. And I know the walks aren't where, where you want them to be, but you do get the sense watching his at-bats, and I think we've talked about this previously, but you kind of are starting to see more professional at-bats, more grinded out at-bats, working counts, getting pitches he can handle. You're starting to see the light go on. Yeah, I, for sure. And, and here's something I always look at, Bob, with young players. And I looked at this with Alec Bohm, too, and I'll, I'll mention just how good Bohm is just in a second. But I, I think that young players, I, what I like to see is, after you have a bad game, have an offer or whatever, how do you bounce back? How quickly do you recover? And there were times earlier in the year where Bryson Stott would have an offer, and it would just carry on. Like I, I go back and look. I mean, you know, just going through his game log, um, he went five games in a row in April without a hit. Then he went in May. I think it was like six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yes. Uh, and then in June, he had another stretch that was two, three, four, five, six, seven games in a row without a hit. So these things happen. Since July 10th, he's not gone back-to-back yeah. games without a hit. That tells you that not there's panicking. something Not getting away from there. the approach, zone, not expanding the zone. He's not much. panicking. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely right. Right. It's, there's something to that. With young play, veteran guys, they get they're streaky sometimes, whatever. But for a young player, I like to look at that because I think that there's something right. to it because it lets you know where they are mentally. Alec Bohm hasn't gone two consecutive games without a hit since June 10th and 11th. I mean, that's two months right there. That's a, that's a that. month stretch. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, those things, like, when I, that, when I it, really, I look at that as a, as a real testament to where a young player is with their focus, with their, men- with their mental approach to the game. Um, and that's something I really like about Bryson Stott. I really do. I think he's a heady player in the field. I think he's really, he's really smart out there as well. Um, and, yeah, he doesn't ever have that deer-in-the-headlights look, right? He always looks confident on the field. You, you know, it's, it's funny I, because, I like, like I, we you know, get into the numbers and, and we do all of this, but... Yeah, you know how like I know you know this. You, I do it from afar sometimes. Like I, and I, I do it both ways. Where I go like that guy has like a, a winner vibe around him. Like uh, he's got it vibe. We all do this, I guess. And mm-hmm. we have that. This guy just kind of has that that loser energy. I, you know how I feel about Carson Wentz. Um, but I do that as like a fan. That's like. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little like angry, or you know something. You know, there's there's other feelings that drive that. I will say with the with the Phillies, I think it's a little different. One because you're you're we're around it. I mean, we're we're down there. We're we're 
watching batting practice, you watch, you know, in the, in the clubhouse, and you just look at a guy, and you kind of just know. And I do this as a coach, too, at the high school level. You just know that mm-hmm. a certain guy, like, has has it. When I look at Bryson Stott and the way he carries himself, just the kind of way he moves around, I just feel it. Like, I feel like this guy has it. And, um, again, that's totally subjective, and it's kind of silly. But I think it just does, it sort of supports some of the numbers and what you're talking about. I just get a vibe from him where I'm like, this guy's going to be yeah. pretty good. I don't know he's going to be a 10-time All-Star, but I just think he's a winning player it's, it's, on a good team. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not silly. I think that there's there's a lot to it. Body language is a thing. I mean, really, it tells you a lot about a person in the in in what they're doing in that moment. It's not just always. It's not just sports yeah, either. Yeah. I mean, you can you can yeah. do this in, in your workplace, and you can see see someone's body language and know whether they're overwhelmed or, or whether they're you know really producing really well on the job. So I think that that's a thing, and I, you know, it's legit. And he's got it. You're right. You're 100% right. I have one more thing I wanted to ask you about for the Phillies before we get to my one last thing and we wrap up. So Bryce Harper, since we last recorded, came out and actually gave, didn't really give a date, but for the first time actually indicated a rough idea of when he might be returning. When using the word September-ish. <laughs> when you hear ish, does your ish go forward or backward on the calendar? <laughs> Usually uh, forward, to be honest. Usually it does. With him, I, I feel like there's like a, you know, he likes the storyline. He likes to own the moment and control and uh, Bryce is a hero. Mm-hmm. So I think he says September-ish, yep. and then when he's back the week before... It, it sets the stage for, like, damn, he really did get back fast. Look at him go. That's my read? Or do you look at this in a more skeptical fashion? No. No, I look at it the same way as you. And I've said all along that my target date that I think he's going to come back is August 26th for that weekend series against the Pirates. Yeah. It will be exactly two months since the injury, that's that. Will, so that's it's close to September ish. It's almost ish, but but like you said, it gets it gets it a little that, bit early. It gets back a little bit early. I'm going to say one. I'm going to throw one other. I'm thing looking at you, the schedule, and I just I throw do one other thing one with thing, Bryce. But go ahead. Here's maybe we're on the same page here. Let's say yeah, we're on the same page. I know we're over the next nine games. Yeah, things yep. go really well. <laughs> right, and all of a sudden, yeah, that big that Mets series coming into Citizens Bank Park is a big deal. We already know that the Friday night games, Apple TV, right? It's a national game. Um, I think that there's. I think that um, the now is the doubleheader on Saturday. Is that a day night or is uh, that a one in single admission doubleheader? That's a, I originally that's split that the night up. So that's a, a one and a seven fifteen. Yeah, so it's a Fox game at night, right? Okay. So we got two national games in there. Yeah, I, I think Does that that's um, back a, a really uh, interesting question. I tweeted out a while ago, and I was actually searching for this, um, but I, I can't come across it the way I wanted to. It was like the beginning of July, uh, maybe the second week of July. I said, man, August 19th would be an interesting return date. 
And I actually had someone tell me that that was very optimistic uh, at the time. Someone that, that has some knowledge of the situation. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's in, I think it's in play. I, I agree with you that, that the 26th feels right. I think they'll try to do it while they're home. They go out on the road after that series. I, I think they like yeah. the theater at that point. I think that that looks good in the video yearbook. You know, Bryce makes his return at home. Um, so I think that that stuff, it's not the leading consideration, but I do think it is one. And if the Phillies meet things real weird here over the next two weeks and, and they right. felt that he could go out there and do it, um, that, yeah, I mean, hell, Phillies are four or five games behind the Mets weekend series. They have a chance to pounce and make things real interesting. And they felt that he could do it without a setback. Uh, yeah, the 19th, I think, comes in play. But I'm right there with you. I agree with your target date. I agree. I agree with the the uh, you know speed things up if, if certain things played out. So yeah, yeah, we're definitely on the same page there. Interesting. It's interesting. I think it's, I think I think I think that's part of the drama here, and it's going to be a part of the fun over the final there six was or seven any weeks doubt. of the season. Like, Man, we I know really that Bryce Harper owns this fan base and that everyone loves him in the contract. I think despite the results and the underwhelming finishes the past few seasons, I don't think there's any remorse about Bryce Harper being here. If he comes back and, no. you know, A, either just puts up banana numbers the rest of the way and they make the postseason, and then and B... There's like a moment or two where he he hits the big home run. He drives that ball into the gap. You remember a few months ago, the one thing I said when they were really struggling, I said, it's a damn shame because here we are now four years into this thing. He's getting a little older. He's, he's in his prime. The Phillies have not positioned Bryce Harper to allow him to deliver those big moments that that kind of puts him back onto the national stage where you say, like, damn, yeah, like we knew the numbers were good. We knew he was the MVP in 21, but, like, He's also a clutch performer. He now, I think, is going to be given the opportunity. That's what this team has done. They've given Bryce Harper the opportunity to return and and create one of those moments that people talk about for a really long time. And if he can cash in on it, man, like he vaults to an entirely different level. I agree. I agree. So here's my one last thing, Bob. And this could be way too soon to bring this up, but I'm going to do it anyway. So, it's been a week since the trade deadline. Who are teams everybody was talking about? Well, the Yankees. The splashes. Uh, trade and, deadline. And, and certainly, certainly the Padres, who have struggled. Padres, sure. Padres, right, okay. And, uh, you know, Seattle and in, went out in and they got fashion, the, Castillo, the Brooks, right? Uh, in that, you know, um, they, they made some, some aggressive moves. And, and you've seen that that team looks a little bit deflated mm-hmm. at the moment. So my question is, and you're going to go, we had a lot of conversations about what the Phillies did and didn't do, or should they have parted ways with some of their better prospects? And then, you know, then you know, I put it in my story the other day that, that you know, uh, Abel and Painter pitched back to back on a doubleheader and were dominant for uh, Lakewood, which was pretty cool. Um, but anyway, regardless of the Phillies, how have, it's only been a week. How those, Not uh, great. Um, the team that I would dial in on, though, most specifically would be would be the Padres. Like, I, I agree with, I think, your overall thing mm-hmm. here. But I will say this. So San Diego has an opportunity to make a statement this weekend against the Dodgers. 
The Dodgers also, though, had an opportunity to make a statement against the Padres. And we talk a little bit about, like, oh, the Phillies getting another shot here against the Mets this weekend, and, and will they be up for it? I think that L.A. kind of is a team that are like, you know, listen, we've, we've been one of the best teams in baseball now for, for a number of years, and everyone's like, oh, yeah, Juan Soto. Like, that, this is going to be the, the, the tipping point, the balance of power in the NL West. And the Dodgers are like, not so fast. And they are equipped from a roster standpoint to make that statement. They did it. I will tell you, though, before we kind of, like, dance on the grave of the Padres, just note that they have three games at home with the Giants, who have been horrendous now for about two months. They then play the Nationals for three. They play the Marlins for three before the Nationals then go out west and play them four more times in San Diego. And we know what the Nationals are. So what I guess I'm saying here is that the Padres have a very, very favorable 13-game stretch coming up here. If they go 9-4 and four or 10-3 and three or better over it, I think we'll start to say, like, oh, damn, here come the Padres, look at them. Their schedule does get harder again, though, after that. So like, they've got to pounce now. Like If the Padres struggle for the next, like, two weeks, they've got a big-time problem ahead. The rest of these teams, it's going to be very interesting to see. The Yankees... It surprises me. I'm stunned. You know, Frankie Montas, you and I had a conversation at the park yesterday. Because, by the way, crossing broad, two reporters on hand yesterday. Don't believe, not sure if any other outlet had two <laughs> reporters on hand yesterday. Um, but we were talking about Frankie Montas, and everyone's like, oh, you know, oh, my God, like, he's a number one. Like, yeah, he's not. He's a nice piece in a rotation. I think the Phillies yeah. would have... We didn't talk about Noah Syndergaard. Like, we were overwhelmingly positive. I have big questions about Noah Syndergaard, and I don't think we're running out of time here, so, like, maybe we'll save it for one more start so we don't look like we're on the overreaction train. Frankie Montez over Noah Syndergaard, I'm in. Uh, but I don't know, man. Like, I, that's a team I thought was heading for 115 wins, and they really struggled, baby. It's just my point is, and I always say it every year, and I, I find this in all sports that have active trade deadlines. Really, the NFL is the only one that really doesn't have an active trade deadline, but NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball. The teams who, who make the biggest splashes at the trade deadline invariably don't well, I mean, listen, get the... Uh... Big reward. Really the end. For Joe Blanton, no eight. I mean, that's going out. It's the teams the that make. Fish. No, I know it makes your point because it's Sabathia and the Brewers, and because the Phillies at the time got roasted for that. Well, Sabathia, yeah, it was Sabathia was a big guy. But now, if no Syndergaard comes right. in and, and does right. that, they right. bring all of his and, starts, and, and, and he, you know, quality start guy, five, six innings, two, three runs, cool. <laughs> Ooh, we'll see. Yeah. But I, I agree. I, I hear well, your we'll point. See. I do hear your point. We'll I'm always just I mean, kind of relating it right back to the Phillies going, like, did they do enough? Did they do enough? We'll see. I, I, also think, I also think when you make the kind of moves that the Padres made, you brought in so much. They brought in three hitters yeah. into a lineup. It takes some time to get that kind of And a closer to the back of that yeah. bullpen. You got to get that adjusted, man. You got to get used to that. And that's... That's why sometimes, like I would look at the Padres, if you ask me right now, when's their best chance to win? I don't think it's this year. I think it's next year. I think they look better, a lot better next year, right? But I just think the teams, it sometimes takes that long to get there. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we could talk about that, that trade all we want. 
if the Padres are eliminated in a three-game series in the first week of the playoffs, eh, we'll talk yeah. Juan Soto next year. See you, well, see you know what I want to see? You know what I want to see? Because you're talking about that, now we're talking about Phillies moving up the wild card here. Like, I'd just like to see some games in Philadelphia in October. Okay. Selfishly. Selfishly, because, as I always know, and we're getting more listeners, so sometimes I repeat things that have been said in previous shows, but, uh, listen, Phillies fan. I grew up as a Phillies fan. My entire family are Phillies fans. You know, yeah. and uh, like, yeah, we do the objectivity thing. We just beat beat up the Phillies for twenty minutes on the show, but like, it's better for the city, better for us to talk about, better to write about. I'd love to see forty five pack it in at Citizens Bank Park the second week of October, and let's see some playoff baseball, man. It's starting to feel like it's possible. Yeah, I I agree, I, I agree with I agree with you, Bob. But at the same time, and I had this conversation with a couple of people down at the park this weekend. The more I look at it, the more I think Major League Baseball screwed up and made this new playoff well, scenario. Real quick, so the top wild card the wild gets card the home piece. series, right? Because it'll be four or five. So if you win the top wild card, they do. you're at home. Well, three. That's not, you know, that's, that's important. Three, we talked about Phillies being three, three games behind games. Atlanta for that now. I mean, that is a, a really big deal. Uh, but yeah, to your point. Yes, go ahead. But, but here's... But here's the here's the argument I would make. The home team, uh, yeah. I mean, there's who's there's there more pressure, more pressure on? on that. Yeah, yeah. If, vis- if visiting team gets one game of those first two, yeah, the pressure is really on the home team. So to me, that favors a visitor because it's only a three game series. If it's a five game series. I yeah, think win or go home in bit, baseball. Right? I don't but feel. It's only a three I'm game sure there series. are numbers that either make me sound like a moron for saying this or or back it up. But I don't feel on the surface anyway. That a winner go home game five, game seven in baseball is is as advantageous as it would be in a winner go home situation like in the NFL playoffs. I don't know in hockey, I think it probably helps the home team, but maybe right. it helps in baseball too historically. But I just feel like right, I agree. Right. You're talking about a season, six months of build up. You're supposed to get it done here. And uh, you know, I can I can definitely think about recent scenarios where it has not proven to be the case. Yeah, like I, best of seven, I think it's okay. I get it. You're, you we're played seven games. Three days later, four days later, we're, yeah. we're just getting started yeah. here, right? And it's a game three. Yeah. Right, and it's it's game three. It's the second thing that I think has favored the wild card teams is the top teams yeah. are now sitting for a week in a sport where sitting is not a good thing. It takes you, throws off your timing. It throws off a lot of things. It throws off your routine. Um, and so basically you're going to say that these teams who are the best teams in baseball, and many of them who will have locked up the division way before the final week of the season, right, who have not played meaningful games for maybe a month or more, all of a sudden have to turn it on again in a short series against a team that just came yep, off you're playing right. playoff games. I think I honestly believe and this is not. I'm not saying this for the Phillies because I still, I still not, I still won't take, I still won't go on this limb. Not yet, anyway. Uh, I'm not going on the limb that they can, that they're going to go to the World Series. But I do believe that the way this is set up, that one of these wild card teams, one of these six wild card teams, is going to end up in the in the World Series, and a heavy favorite, and the heavy favorites are going to be very interesting. Home, like what the hell very is interesting. happening? Just saying. Okay. All right. Well. 
Just sets up a uh, another important. Listen, at this point, they're all important weeks. So I think that I'm probably stating the obvious here, but it'll be an interesting week for the Phillies. Tough pitching uh, matchups ahead. Uh, They'll try to keep this thing rolling forward and then take advantage of a very, very soft spot in the schedule coming up beginning at uh, the start of next week. So for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thank you for listening to Crossed Up. Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to this type of content. Follow along. Give us a like, give us a rating, all that good stuff, and we'll talk to you soon.